It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello again. I'm Joe Mott. Thank you for listening today. I pray you are well. In the last episode of Defending and Commending the Faith, I began the program by encouraging every listener to vote in the upcoming presidential election. First, I suggested that you do not vote for or against any given personality, but rather for the policies of the candidates. Second, I encouraged you then, and I am encouraging you now, to vote not for a who, but rather for a what. That is, the type of life you want to be living a decade from now, the kind of country your children and grandchildren could enjoy, the kind of country that still protects your constitutional rights of life, liberty, and property, something that is closer to the life that the Bible recommends, the what that gives the most freedom for people to be able to worship as they choose. Third, I am encouraging you to vote pro-life, which I believe the Bible supports. Our vote should speak for those who cannot speak for themselves as commanded by Proverbs 31 verse 8. The Bible has a definite prohibition against shedding innocent blood. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 says seven things that are an abomination to God, including those whose hands shed innocent blood. We may differ whether or not the baby in the womb is a human being. But two things we do know for certain is that the blood of the unborn is innocent and in an abortion, the baby's blood is definitely shed. The issue of abortion alone is why I switched party affiliations in the 1980s. If you oppose abortion on demand, then in that regard, you have only one choice. Fourth, I encourage you to vote for your own self-interest. Check out the platforms of both parties. One discusses lower taxes, and the other, by implication, a dramatic increase in taxes. If one party gets in power, their increase in taxes, in my estimation, will rob you of half of your property within four years. Your vote for one party will sabotage not only your property, but sabotage my property and everyone else's property in the nation, regardless of their party affiliation. 
Is that what you want? If not, you have only one choice. We are $30 trillion in debt now, and just the Green New Deal will cost over $100 trillion. Vastly increasing taxes is not going to be enough to foot that bill. They will have to take people's property from them, from us, through a planned wealth tax. Is that what you want? If not, you have only one choice. Think about these things when you vote. What do you think about a revolutionary change in our nation that would take away your constitutional rights and freedoms? If you would prefer that our nation continue as a constitutional republic and not a socialist nation, you have only one choice. Consider that when you get in the voting booth. I would not be able to exercise the freedom of speech without consequence if I did not live in a free republic. And neither would you have that freedom either. Finally, I say that both President candidates are making promises. They each have a record. One of three plus years in the office of the presidency and the other 47 years in government, including eight years as vice president. We can check out their record. Has the vice president fulfilled his promises? I think not. My opinion is you have only one choice. Okay, enough politics. And back to the program. Let's begin today attempting to answer a question from someone in the listening audience. The question is, who is responsible for an open heart, God or man? I appreciate very much you giving me the opportunity to respond to your question. I think your question is fairly deep and can't be answered quickly, so bear with me. First, let me establish some common ground. What do you mean by open in the word open heart? I assume you use open in the sense of the old adage that the mind is like an umbrella. It only works when it is open. In other words, an open mind is one that is willing to contemplate a new approach to a dilemma and does not rule out an idea just because it is new or contrary to what one already believes. So in reference to the heart, it is either open or it is closed. My next question, what do you mean by the word heart? According to Dake's annotated reference Bible, heart is used in six ways in Scripture. Number one, the physical organ that pumps blood. That's found in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 37, and Proverbs 14, verse 30. Number two, how heart is used as affections of the soul. I think Dakes means by this that they, that refers to emotions like joy, gladness, sorrow, or troubles. 
This can be found in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47, Psalms 4, verse 7, Psalm 13, verse 2, and John 14, verse 1. The third uh, way heart is used is as conscience. That's in 1 Samuel 24, verse 5, and Proverbs 27, verse 6. Fourth, heart is used as human nature. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, and Mark 7, verses 20 through 23. Fifth, the heart is used for the mind. In Genesis 6, 5, Jeremiah 17, verse 10, Exodus 35, verse 5, and Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. And finally, 6, uh, heart is used as the center of anything. That can be found in Exodus 15, verse 8, and Matthew 12, verse 40. So the word heart has a range of meanings, and we can't determine its interpretation accurately without knowing the context surrounding the phrase, open heart, where you first encountered it. But it's very important that we study the heart because Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. There is a principle of interpretation of Scripture called the law of first mention that may apply here. In his book, Interpretation of the Scriptures, Arthur W. Pink writes, quotes, Since there is but one speaker throughout the entire word, and he knew from the beginning all he was going to say, he has so ordered his utterances as to forecast from the outset whatever was to follow. Thus, the initial occurrence of a word of anything in the scriptures usually intimates to us how it is subsequently will be employed. In other words, the first pronouncement of the Holy Spirit on a subject very frequently indicates substantially what is found in later references thereto. This is of real assistance to the expositor, supplying him with a key to what follows. The word heart occurs 821 times in the Bible, but the first mention is in Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, which says, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. There are several conclusions we can make here. Let me list three. Observe first the words, and the Lord saw, intimating that God alone is fully conversant with this inward spring from which proceed the issues of life. Quotes, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, end quotes. That's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Second, the condition of the heart explains his wicked 
conduct. Third, the word heart equals the whole of the inward part of a person. For the marginal rendering of the phrase, every intent of the thoughts of his heart, is the purposes and desires, and thus is not only of his thought alone, that is, his mind, but also of his affections and will. I assume, therefore, that you are using heart to refer not to the organ that pumps blood throughout the human body, but rather to the core of our being, the whole of a person's inward life, which Vine's Expository Dictionary says includes the rational, moral, and spiritual activity of the person. So I take an open heart to mean that the individual is open to revelation from God, sensitive to the impressions and guidance of the Holy Spirit, and is not hardwired against the supernatural. If I am wrong in my understanding, please correct me. Read Romans 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. There, Paul is discussing the witness of creation to the pagan with a darkened heart as described in verses 120 part B to verse 21 in the overall passage of 1 verse 18 through 32. The witness of conscience to the moral person, Jew or Gentile, with the unrepentant heart as described in verses 5 of chapter 2 in the passage chapter 2 verses 1 through 16 and the witness of the scriptures to the religious person typified by the Jew with the uncircumcised heart described in 2 verse 29 of the overall passage to 17 through 3 verse 18 these three classes of people seem to be hardwired against God's influence. They have a closed heart. We also know that God draws us to Jesus of Nazareth, found in John 6, verse 44 and 12, verse 32. Thus, we have to cooperate with God to have an open heart. So the individual person controls whether or not he is willing to cooperate with God. If he is willing, then he has an open heart. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.